You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This is Archery Unfiltered, the show that cuts out all the nonsense and gets right to the core of what it takes to make you a better archer. What's up, fuckos? Alright, this is a special, special podcast. Um, This was actually put together by my, my buddy Elliot Peters, who really wanted this to happen. Uh, you guys know him. He's Elliot Free Roam. He's the funniest fucking archer on social media. Um, Elliot helped push this to happen, and uh, I got a great guest for you guys. You'll have to excuse this one. I'm super nervous. This is easily the highest tier guest I've had on the show, not to take away from any of the guys that I've had on before, all right? Um, I do believe everyone that is on this show offers up good information, um, but there's been a, a request for me to interview like, you know, the top level pros if I can. The only reason why I don't is because normally top level pros are out to sell something. At least in my mind, they're out to sell something, right? Um, and this is not one of those guys. This is easily one of the, if not the best archer on the planet. I've said that before. And, um, the dude is just straight up down to earth, super cool. You guys have to, you know, excuse the way I interview him because I'm so freaking nervous to interview guys like this. It's also like end of day. It's after work, and I end up staying at work to interview him just because I wanted to work around his schedule. So, um, you know, I'm not like 100% Wendell. I'm kind of like you know 80%. I'm all juiced up on energy drink, so I'm I'm a little you know flighty. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy it. I jump around all over. It's the same thing as like the first time I interviewed Mark Rubio. I was so nervous that I like jumped around all over the place. So try and grasp what you can from it. Um, you know, normally this guy's interviews are more uh, organized, but you had me this time, so <laughs> you take what you can from it. Uh, this guest is Gaius Carter. Uh, you know, badass. He just shot Field Nationals alongside Bodie. They they podium podiumed. Uh, Gaius won Redding. He, I think it was like fifth in Vegas. He was way up there at Lancaster. The dude is coming out swinging. He's only 22 years old. He's a young dude, but he's like mellow down to earth. Um, badass with the bow. Super, super even keel. Um, I'm just jazzed, dude. The guy's super cool to me, and who the fuck am I? I'm just nobody, you know? So, uh, I hope you guys enjoy this. Um... <laughs> Uh, I know a couple of you guys are going to be super juiced about this. I know I was. Um, Gaius has given some information. As with, like, Mike Pistelli offered up information that I was like, holy crap, this is some stuff that I can use. Stuff that I had never heard about before. Gaius is no different, all right? These guys offer up stuff that is not, like, mainstream bow setup, bow tuning knowledge, right? Um, There could have been other things. You know, there's some things in the interview I could have dove into, but... I had a list of things I wanted to get through and it was just, you know, I, I did the best I could. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, before we get on with the interview, uh, this is, uh, brought to you by DB custom coatings. My friend, Darren and bet out in Napa, they Saracote bows. They'll do your bicycles. They do your pizza ovens if you want, but the big, the big thing that they do is bows and they do them damn well. So check them out. DB custom coatings on Instagram. Uh, Darren's a wizard with his Cerakoting ability. Um, and then Carbon Craft Stabilizers is the other sponsor. You guys know it. I'm always pushing Carbon Craft Stabilizers. I just got done about how pros are always trying to sell some shit, and now I'm, I'm pushing Carbon Craft. You guys know me. I've always been talking about the Carbon Craft Stabilizers, like the lower-cost, high-performance bar. Uh, dude, uh, all the guys in Fresno shoot them. I shoot them couple of NorCal guys shoot them. They're badass. Check them out. Uh, Brian Webb at Impact Archery in Fresno is the guy that makes them. He's a craftsman. Uh, and 
probably one of the nicest guys in archery as well. If you ever call him and check, you know, tell him you want to try one out. Um, you can either place an order with him or you can place an order with my man, Rudy Sandoval up at West coast archery in Petaluma. And, uh, that's it. As far as the sponsors for the show go, I hope you guys enjoy this. It's Gaius Carter, uh, the man, the myth and the legend. So enjoy it. People. All right, I'm here with Gaius Carter, the man, the myth, the legend. Thank you for coming on the show, dude. Hey, Wendell. Yeah, man, absolutely. Um, I would like to thank you uh, and your listeners as well for having me on. Um, you kind of talked up the listeners quite a bit there in that message, so it's pretty cool, and I'm, and I'm honored to uh, to be a part of the Archery Unfiltered. Hopefully, I can get a sticker out of this. <laughs> dude, I, I, got sti- <laughs> I got stickers and hats, dude. I got swag. I got all the... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> all that beginner stuff, that like wannabe influencer stuff, I got all that. So, sweet. <laughs> um, I'll do it for a sticker. <laughs> <laughs> sweet man. Well, thank you very much. Uh, Gaius, uh, you got a lot of fans on the West Coast, dude. Um, specifically, I know my buddy Oscar Melendez. He tags you in like every Instagram post. Like every- Oscar's Oscar's a good dude, man. D- dude, if the guy <laughs> bakes cookies, you're getting tagged in it. Um, Yep. He's super cool. My buddy Elliot Peters was another guy that was like, hey, you have to get uh, Gaius on. And I, like, normally I'm like really shy around like really good shooters. And then there's like elite shooters where you're at, which made me even more shy. But um, I kind of feel like the stuff you, like, you know, the stuff you figured out, the stuff you've worked towards getting good at in this sport is something that I think needs to be you know, heard from everybody uh, if I can, or, you know, if you're willing to share it, I'm always willing to share it. Something I'm also willing to share is how funny Elliot is that, that (laughs) some of the funniest things I've seen on Instagram relating to archery. He's a a funny cat. (laughs) (laughs) When I first started this podcast, it was just me cutting like dick jokes and me thinking (laughs) I was the funniest guy in archery. And then Elliot came along and it's like, (laughs) he blew me out of the water. I don't even try to be funny anymore. Because uh, he's he's literally that good. <laughs> yeah, he, I don't even think he tries hard. I think he just I think he just is funny. Yeah, he just naturally <laughs> comes off like that. Um, Elliot's a huge fan of yours, uh, and he's following you right now in your quest for shooter of the year. And mm-hmm. we've noticed like you are you are looking good. You're in strong contention for it with other really like badass shooters. Um, and the next event for you is going to be the first Dakota classic. Um, yep. have you, I'd have you already started practicing for that? Or have you been practicing in training? Um, so yeah, uh, shoot of the year, I believe I don't have that big of a lead, but I am leading in going for shoot of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, Dakota classic, the part of Dakota classic that's important for shoot of the year is, uh, the 600 and the X count. Uh-huh. Um, I haven't started practicing just yet. Um, I actually had my dad in town. Um, so we went and, you know, hung out around town. Um, he went home yesterday. Uh, today is actually, so after this podcast will be my first, uh, afternoon of preparation, um, kind of getting things together. So what I'll do is we'll wrap this podcast off. I'll ensure I'll get a sticker and what I'll do is I'll go stand and shoot. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool, man. Um, I know the first Dakota classic is it's kind of run like a state 900 sort of where you shoot it mm-hmm. a, a couple different distances. And I think in the correct me if I'm wrong, but at some point there's like matches and uh, like a tournament bracket style thing, right? Yep. So I don't I think it's Friday or Saturday. I don't remember which day exactly we shoot the round, but the following day uh, we will shoot head to head matches head-to-head matches so i believe it's like the top 32 mm-hmm. it gets cut to and then it matches up until then um obviously my big my big concern is the qualification score i, I mm-hmm. don't personally i don't care a whole lot for the score i'll go up there and shoot matches with the intent that i have and we'll see where i end up but mm-hmm. you know a lot of my training and preparation will go into the qualification which then will bleed into the uh, the matches uh-huh. so yeah, we'll we'll still see the 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 work that I put into it showing the matches, but mm-hmm. I, I mostly care for the qualification score. Right. So, right. That makes sense. Um, uh, so preparing for this about how, well, going into like a bunch of stuff, cause you've, you won Reading, like you shot fucking lights out in Lancaster. You shot great in Vegas. 
I, I was actually behind you in the hotel, and when you were like, I don't know if you were canceling a room or something, but I was like, oh yeah, you did really good. <laughs> I was just being a cheese dick fan, dude. Where I was like, oh man, you're the man, dude. <laughs> um, but how many hours do you put in? Like, just say for the first Dakota Classic, how many hours? Are you going to put in daily or weekly or like how much do you put in practicing for an event like this? Yeah. So Dakota classic, what I will do, obviously I work, um, I have a day job. So I work for AAE mm-hmm. from six in the morning till five normally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll step behind the office and I'll shoot until dark ish. So normally on a weekday, which is Monday through Thursday for me is about an hour to an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, on the weekends, so for me, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I will put as much time as I can possible. Kind of uh-huh. the issue here right now in this part of the season, it's monsoon season, so right about 1 o'clock is the rain comes down until dark. Um, so if I'm blessed and I don't have any rain, I'm able to practice more. But, I mean, let's call the weekdays, call it five hours, and then on the, the weekends, we might say 10 total, mm-hmm. maybe 12. So probably I would say 20 hours a week um, shooting. And I think that's a fair assessment, maybe mm-hmm. 15, 20, something like that. Awesome. But I would like to say that I'm more relatable in the practicing routine than most because I do work a day job. So right. that's, um, that's kind of what I was like a little curious about. I knew you worked a nine to five and I wasn't exactly sure what the details of your nine to five was. I know you worked at AAE, but mm-hmm. I do know, you know, um, I've had Blake Jerome on my show a bunch. He's uh, a a badass pro shooter. Um, yep. He good friend of mine. Awesome dude. He I I like yeah. him. I like I've shot some uh, outlaws with him. He's super cool to me. He's always tried to help me out. And so yeah. I know his practice routine. And I know what's interesting is at one time I was a decent shooter and I had a very similar routine to Blake. And so mm-hmm. I was very curious as to you know how you know how close your practice routine was to Blake's you know I was wondering if you're you know you're throwing down four hours a day or you know an hour a day sounds like what I know really good shooters throw down I would imagine at some point you were also throwing down like insane (laughs) I mean an hour a day is still a lot more than most people yeah when I mean I'm only 22 so like when I was high school and college and all that stuff I obviously shot way more Uh um now it's a little different, but, um, kind of when it comes to the practice side of things, like on a, on a weekday, um, one of the things that I do carry with me that is helpful in that practice, no matter how many hours I, I do, I put in uh-huh. because my practice sessions are so breaking broken up. Um, I carry a little notebook and what I'll do is I don't write how many hours or how many arrows or anything like that. But what I write in is, things that need to be done, whether that's a torque tune, a sight tape, a tune, timing, change of cable, mm-hmm. anything like that. Because, you know, when I go through, let's say tonight and I shoot and shoot and let's say timing or rest movement or some sort of adjustment that I would like to make moving forward, mm-hmm. I can kind of make that note and then touch it again the next day. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously there's a big difference between tuning and practicing. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. I, I know firsthand that, you know, it's something you try to, at least in my experience, it's like you try to get the, the little tune part out of the way first, and then you get your get your feel going, get your your practice going. For you know, I I heard you say in your uh, interview with Greg Poole that um, maybe it wasn't tuning, but when you practice, you're practicing for feel. Is that something yep. that you relate to your tune? Like I, for me, it's like it's almost always a stabilizer thing or back bar angle is the thing that I attack when I'm going for feel. But I know mm-hmm. a guy of your caliber, you're going to be – I mean, you even said it in your, your interview with him that, you know, D-loop is huge. Like, D-loop placement is huge for, for the feel of the bow. Yeah. Yeah, so a lot of my practice sessions are all feel. Obviously, I can't mm-hmm. say – obviously, there's a result that I'm looking for the closer I get to a tournament, right, uh-huh. depending on tune and all that stuff. But when I say that everything's a feel, my um, – and I, and I feel that there's stages um, – Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people can relate to that when it comes to preparing, but I think that there's a, a amount of time where I can't judge where my arrows impact. Basically what I'm doing is I'm just running arrows and I am not having a emotional uh, attachment to where those arrows hit. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I understand like 
today when I go shoot, um, I'm going to group terribly. I'm going to shoot shots that are bad. Um, it's going to be terrible. Um, one, because I haven't ate today. <laughs> Two, I haven't touched a bow in a while. Um, and that's just something that you have to be honest with yourself and know that that's going to happen. You can't make that, you can't have a, an emotional connection to that and judge yourself off that. Mm-hmm. Moving, probably going, let's say, Friday, Saturday. Um, I won't be here, but if I was, um, I would prob- probably Friday um, get a couple days in of just shooting. Mm-hmm. That's when I would start to notice things tightening up. I would ensure I would eat um, to where, you know, you're stable and all that. I would, a lot of those arrows that I run during the week that I'm talking about stands at 50 meters. Uh-huh. Um, it could be 50 meters, six yards, whatever, but it's the uh, U.S. archery 50 meter target. Uh-huh. I shoot that a lot because it's very repetitive um, and kind of the goal as a target archer is to be repetitive. I don't like shooting little dots. I don't shoot field rounds. I don't score in practice. Um, I don't do any of that stuff. I kind of just it's all attentive to see what happens, uh-huh. um, whether it's with stabilizers or anything like that. And then there's a stage of uh, kind of tuning, tinkering and all that, because I can go a week or two without even changing anything on the bow and just kind of let things happen, uh-huh. miss terrible groups. And I'm okay with it because I know that when I start tuning, there's a stage for that and I'll fix and clean all those things up. It's basically just getting the muscle memory down. Uh-huh. So, what, um, uh, so, when I, I keep, I don't want to like just totally rip off the last bow junkie episode, but I heard yeah, the, you'd mentioned the that, part. What's that? The D loop part there. Well, the D loop part, but also you had broken the shot up into three parts that you were talking about. You said like the the kind of like the aim portion and then the execution and post shot. I mean, I might be butchering it a little bit, but you'd kind of broken it up a, a little bit as to how you define the feel. Mm-hmm. Was so, yeah, so there's. I think so. I probably, I don't even remember what I said, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I guess my draw is broken up different ways um, or the shot it is. Um, I will, basically, it's obviously we draw, right? And then there's an engagement where um, I'm not even on target, but I will give everything in my front half, meaning shoulder, tricep, and elbow, which has a bend in it. Mm-hmm. Um, with using my tricep, I'll barely give it a little bit of pressure and that, that'll steady, steady everything up. Um, and by the time I get to full draw, my thumb is already on the barrel. I shoot a thumb button. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not very heavy. I think what I measured it to is like seven ounces or something like that. Oh, wow. uh, I'll use a little like rifle trigger and test it and all that, but mm-hmm. it's like seven. Ounces. Um, and then. I don't actually squeeze the button. I don't relax my index finger. It's, I guess it, it's not necessarily relaxation either. It's, I don't know. It's a bizarre shot. I could probably get you a video and explain it better. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, it, it makes sense to me. Like I, I've shot a thumb button as well, um, and mm-hmm. I mean that's the what I shoot most often. And I try to teach people a similar way where I just you know have my thumb on the barrel and you know just try to. Uh, for me, it's like a push pull thing. I don't want to put words in your mouth for how you get your, you know, your business. No, you're on track with it. Yeah, and it just kind of goes. If your trigger's not set super heavy, it it will go. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean that's it. that's pretty much it. And then after a while, because of you know your because of the long practice where you're not really caring of the impact, eventually, um, without even subliminally it'll just happen where shots will just fire in the middle mm-hmm. um, and that's that's kind of just how things go and that's how i run things i don't question it <laughs> let it happen yeah, let it happen <laughs> i'm not changing things <laughs> do you do a bunch so, do you do blank bailing at all um i don't do blank bailing as a matter of fact the only blank bailing i do is with a recurve really uh, yeah yep um just to clear that's your mind or... um because I want to shoot a recurve. <laughs> so I actually, uh, I went down and saw uh, and hung out with Brady um, probably a month or so ago. Uh-huh. And we've been talking about, you know, gay is shooting a recurve and you know, all that type of thing. But my draw length's, you know, 33 inches. So um, to build a recurve that large, it's like a 74-inch bow. So it's <laughs> extra long limbs with a 27-inch riser. Um and uh it's it's a giant bow but 
I, I want to shoot it. And I told him that I was going to shoot it. So I, I've been putting in, you know, nightly arrows with that recurve. And I, do I think it helps me with the compound? Um, I think so. It definitely uses completely different muscles. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of training that he does that we've discussed and it's far more advanced comp of uh, recurve wise than it is compound. Like it's, if you were to talk to anyone that shoots a compound for training specifically, the re the recurve world is those guys are strong. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. Yeah. So. I have no, no doubt. I've, I've dabbled in barebow, like recurve barebow for a little bit to, mm-hmm. I just did it to clear my brain, but yeah, I have mad no. respect for anyone that shoots recurve. I don't like missing, so it's hard for me. I'm scared <laughs> to even stop blank bailing. Like, I'm only <laughs> shooting blank with recurve. I don't want to go outside because if I miss, I'll just get angry. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, going back to your D-loop adjustment, uh, that spoke to me a lot because I'm a firm believer that grip pressure is, is a lot in how your aim and how your pin float comes out. And mm-hmm. it seems to me like if you, you know, if your cams are timed, where your, um, you know, where your knock point is, is going to be a huge, you know, a huge, what's the word? It's going to be huge in determining as to what your, you know, uh, grip pressure and pin float end up being like. Mm-hmm. So do you yeah. adjust your D loop? Like, uh, is this like on initial setup of your bow? Or are you adjusting your D loop before you tie a knock a knock point, or are you cutting off a knock point and, you know, are, like, are you changing this for every event that you're doing, or, you know? Yeah. So actually, after reading, um, after reading, I actually took that bow apart, kept the riser, and then went and got another riser because I want to keep that, you know, because it's kind of cool that I went reading, right? So. Oh hell yeah. Um, I changed everything, new strings, everything was new. Um, and I would say this is kind of, it's definitely initial setup. And it, I have a ballpark now that I've had so many uh, PSC Supras, like I had the Super Focus to now the RTX and a different RTX. So I have an idea. Um, and I start like a sixth, the bottom of my knock is normally about a 16th from the bottom of the burger hole. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's my start from, from ground zero. Um Outside of that, what I would do, and this is something I'm I'm working on, gonna make some some content. But that little knock set where you said where you mentioned cut the knock set off, uh-huh. um, I tie a knock set where I can I can actually spin it down the string. So all I have to do is loosen my D loop with like a fork, oh, um, and I can spin that knock set down. So it basically micro adjusts it up and down. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, moving your D loop is a macro adjustment in the grand scheme of things. Where you can take, let's say, if you want to drop your D loop, you could take half a turn or a full turn out of your top limb bolt and kind of do your own tinkering. Um, so let's say if you're dipping really bad or, you know, any sort of weird, mostly dipping low, uh-huh. um, I'll take a turn out of the top and see what happens. If it gets better, my next move is probably either take another turn and see what happens, see if I go too far. Um, or what I'll do is kind of move my D loop down a little bit. If I know that, all right, this is a little too high or, uh-huh on the timing or that type of thing, I'd be like, all right, I'll just move it down. Um, so that's something a lot of people can try because I mean, once you get your D loop in your place and you time it and all that, that's not the end all be all because the angle of the grip and how your hand works and basically how everything works in your body is going to be different from bow to bow with different D loops, Mm -hmm. um, D loop locations you can move. And I promise you the D loop movement, moving up and down the string, it could be the, the thickness of a serving, the difference between one uh, dealer position to another, mm-hmm. huge difference. It's almost like it's another bow. Um, so I, I kind of tell people to tinker with that because you can really get a bow to hold really still, especially with um, this RTX and the rubber stops. So that's so that soft wall on the PSE uh-huh. and... Um, me tinkering with that D loop, I can get that those bows to hold incredibly well. Um, so that's amazing. That's, that's amazing. Kind of what I would recommend. I when I first heard you say that, it was a couple months ago, and when I got you know I picked up you know my newest bow. That's the first thing I did was go and play with the D loop and see you know how it affects the hold, and it's huge. I don't know why you know it's not. I don't know. It's just I feel like it should be more mainstream. But you're the first guy I'd ever heard talk about that, and I thought that was pretty cool. 
there's a lot of old archery information that pops up from time to time and people are like, what? Like this has been around before I was born. <laughs> oh, that's a great segue into this question that I've written down for you about old archery stuff. Um, I had heard a long time ago that pros practice for Vegas at like 25 or 30 yards. Um, I mean, these are probably old timey pros or, you know, I, I don't know how prevalent this is now. Um, do you do anything like that prepping for indoor? Uh, I don't practice at 25 or 30 yards, but if we want to talk about old people, I would go ahead and call Chance Bobeth old. Um, <laughs> but he is actually one of the guys that is notorious for doing that. Really? Um, and I've actually been, yeah, I've been at his place where he stepped back to 25 yards and shot one of the cleanest Vegas faces I've ever seen. Um, so Chance is definitely one of those guys that still do that. And he's, he's one of the best Vegas shooters of all time. Um, so I, I don't do that. Like the range here in the office is 20 at, at most is 23 yards. So I don't even, I just stand at 20 and shoot. Cause that's what I'm preparing for. So I don't want it to change any more than it is because the difference between the range here in the office and the range in Vegas is about a hundred extra bales. Other than that, there's no <laughs> difference. So, um, yeah, I don't do anything crazy like that. It'd be cool. <laughs> Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> so preparing for indoor, do you, like, I, I heard you say earlier that you really don't do scoring rounds. Is that, <laughs> is that just in like the first, you know, is that just in the first like break in period of your practice part or do you really not do practice, uh, or I'm sorry, scored practices until like a different section of that as you get closer to the event or do you just not mess with scored, scored practice rounds? Yeah. Um, so I don't do I don't keep score in practice at all. Um that is bad ass, dude. <laughs> yeah, I mostly focus on the things that I can control. Uh -huh. Um so like the things between my hands, which is the boat. Uh -huh. Um so how things look and all that. Uh indoors, I don't keep score. I'm not like tallying things, but it's hard not to know the score because when you have three holes in the target, it's pretty easy to guess what the score. <laughs> yeah. Is. yeah, you'll see it. Um, or a fourth hole, then it's even better, and you're like, "Oh, that's definitely a 299 or a 298." <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no scoring for me. <laughs> for indoor, are you putting in like a similar amount of practice time? Is your practice pretty consistent, like uh, an hour after work, hour and a half after work, and then more on the weekends? Uh, yeah, um, I would say indoor, it's even a little more because I can shoot in the dark um, yes. or when it's dark outside, it's it's all indoors. So I can pretty much pick and choose the time. And in indoor season, my favorite thing is to kind of go home after work, you know, eat and all that stuff and then come back nine, ten o'clock and shoot at the range. Oh, um, that's cool. <laughs> so it's it that I enjoy indoor season just for the fact that I can pick and choose and schedule my time to, you know, maximize it and. <laughs> Take as much time as want. So, dude. Okay, on the indoor topic, I know I'm kind of jumping around all over the place. I'm a no, little, you're good, man. I, little, I like it. I'm a little nervous. Cause I've never had anyone on like you know at your level before, but um, <laughs> <It's all good. laughs> you don't you don't fuck with like the veins going the same direction as the arrow clocks for your indoor arrow. You just fletch it and go. Is that true? Um, I think I fletch it. I don't shoot into the target at 20 yards and fletch it. I think I fletch, I fletch right outdoors and left indoors. Um, kind of that old theory that I don't even know if it's true. I guess it was true on some old risers, but steer the veins away from the riser indoors because you're running a big arrow, big veins, all that stuff. Uh -huh. It's on on my RTX. It's nowhere near the riser, but I fletch it left anyway. Um, Interesting. Roofly, if you tune and my the tune that I do for indoors is basically a bear shaft down the pipe. Like uh -huh. I wanted to hit a super X inside out mainly for trash talking, um, <laughs> in the practice range at like Vegas, like, all right, bear shaft close to the center and I can just stuff one in the middle. Um, but if your bear shafts flying perfect like that, I don't think left or right helical at 20 yards is going to make a difference. I would, agree. I might be wrong. I, I don't, I just don't see how it would make a difference. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it could if you're, just throwing it. If you're casting down a perfect bear shaft, that makes perfect sense to me. Uh, that's, that's my thought there. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's, that's, uh, I am a hard believer of like, you know, uh, 
you know, fletching that direction, but I also just don't have that ability to, to throw the perfect bear shaft like that. I think my form is just too too trollish. Ah, mine's my my grip is horrid, so we're we're probably in the same boat. <laughs> <laughs> One thing for indoor arrows that uh, actually Greg um, got me doing this year, uh, actually starting back in November before Lancaster, before Iowa Pro Am, before Vegas indoor nationals and all that was actually he was kind of going through his og you know west coast hooter shooter techniques uh-huh. where he will run um six all the indoor arrows through a bow at 20 yards out of my bow my 27s run them through and uh turn knocks until they all go one hole and to be honest with you it's uh, i won that's a layer of confidence, right? Because all of your arrows hit one hole. And secondly, when your arrows you shoot, let's say all six of them, and they shoot a group the size of a Coke can, and then you turn knocks and they all go the same hole. Yes. I can tell you honestly that my scores improved. Yeah, I, I believe that, dude. That speaks volumes, man. My Elliot was super curious as to what kind of work you did with the uh, with the Hooter shooter, and uh, mm-hmm. I. I had an idea that it was probably something like knock indexing, but you know I can't say for sure. But that's pretty awesome. Do you yeah. do you do that with just your twenty sevens? You do that with everything. Do that with um, X tens, twenty sevens, all all the arrows. Obviously not hunting arrows because that's lame. But uh, outdoor <laughs> arrows, are, the X tens are a lot more finicky. Uh-huh. Um, Greg has his own methodology for how he does it, and it's amazing the accuracy he can get out of that thing. He doesn't re-aim it. He doesn't do anything. It's bolted to the floor. It's it's impressive. He has his own little technique on how he does it, and it's it's pretty cool to watch because very few bows will do that, and it's it's pretty cool to watch when he gets it to do it. So That's badass, dude. I think that's... I, I've been a huge like proponent of, uh, of knock indexing. A, a lot of gold tip guys are because it's kind of like, you know what they say you just got to do. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah i i I'll tell you what the best and you're and you're right there too um when i shot the performax and i had uh gold tip tours i think there were 300s or 340s uh-huh. with like 140 grains in the nose i would uh, uh take a sharpie and kind of index where the spine would meet on inside of the shaft and just shoot bear shafts at uh 50 80 yards and just turn knocks until they would all group dude that was one of the best rigs i've ever had in my life that thing railed at i have it still set up the way it is with the arrows it's 80 so yards good. you did that at 80 yeah 50 obviously i don't start right at 80 i'll go to 30 then 50 and make sure everything's still good and down the pipe and step back and and launch them that way <laughs> god nowadays damn. i shoot x10s with the the rtx mm-hmm. veins on them um and i'll just turn knocks shoot groups and if they if they miss what i'm aiming at obviously with a bad shot or whatever i'll disregard those but the better groups i'll take them in a bundle and kind of set them to the side and continue shooting the rest of the arrows until they all hit and it works for me (laughs) um so let me ask uh, you know kind of jumping around again but this is kind of on the thing because you're talking about x10s and how you you know you, you uh you said they're a little pickier um it just got me thinking about uh redding and stuff how did uh your practice go for reading considering you know what what your work schedule is like and everything um so reading was pretty cool this year um obviously a lot of preparation at home kind of the same thing right after work uh-huh. you still um, shoot a feed a face like in prep or did you already switch to orange dots so in the in the beginning stages of preparing for reading yeah i shot the I shot the crap out of a uh, 50 meter target. Mm -hmm. And then when I started slowly working towards tuning and uh, sight tapes and stuff like that, that's when I would put up all my redding dots. And I had a 122 centimeter gold face for shooting at uh, hundred yards, which is basically a blown up version of the 50 meter target, Uh but just gold. Um, So I shot, obviously I shot a lot of redding dots and for hundred yards, a lot of turning knocks and stuff at the 88, 88 yard dot. Um, but the cool thing about Reading this year is that Greg and I actually got the toy hauler and we went to Fresno. I shot my first outlaw tournament there. We got there a little early so we could practice and tune and tinker and all that. But I think I, I believe there was my success and Reading derived from 
going to Fresno, shooting that range, um, kind of, you know, put my equipment through the ringer, you know, uh-huh. um, shooting all that. And then from there, we just bombed up to uh, Redding, got there Monday, shot, shot around the range, practice, tuned, tinkered, all that. And then the Redding tournament started. So I think a lot of my success there came from shooting the orange dots uh-huh. you know, with, with all those guys there. And yeah, the Fresno Outlaw. I will definitely be shooting the Outlaw uh, in Fresno again. Oh, hell I'd yeah. like to shoot all of the Outlaws. I just <laughs> I got to find time for it. But uh, I've um, been I've been shooting the Outlaws for years now, the whole series. Mm-hmm. And when uh, Fresno came around, this year I couldn't go, but I was getting bombed with messages like, oh, Gaius Carter and, you know, pooler here this is fucking nuts like <laughs> you guys like made some fat ripples in the water dude <laughs> yeah i was pretty excited to be there you know greg shot he's shot outlaws before but uh-huh. you know the outlaw tour and that event and the guys that were hosting it that's that's nothing like anything what i'm used to being back from the east coast mm-hmm. um, in north carolina so that was cool to one see the show out the amount of people there and the caliber of shooters and to be honest with you this might be controversial um I'll take 10, pick any of the 10 shooters that shoot the outlaw against the 10 best in uh, the East Coast. Yeah, I'm sorry. West Coast carries some fantastic shooters. Oh, damn. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's just the facts. I mean, I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to sweat by saying that. I, everyone on the East Coast is going to have like fat boys and like 30X and triple X size 3D arrows. <laughs> okay, so are, are you just pandering because you know my audience is a bunch of West Coasties? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I, <laughs> This, I said that to Greg when I was in when we were driving to Reading. <laughs> well, no, I was dumbfounded by the amount of good shooters that were there. It was it was impressive. Safari is definitely our game out here. Like it, we don't have much to live for except for indoor and Reading. You know, I'm all uh, that's that's my game. I'm all about it. Indoor <laughs> and Reading. Um, yep. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, dude. I I can think of two guys in particular that are gonna do a backflip when they <laughs> heard what you said. <laughs> Um, let's see. I, okay. On my list of questions here for you, I have, uh, do you set your peep at a certain distance? Cause I, I've heard you talk about, you know, you, you, you know, when you're setting your bow up, you put your bow on a draw board, you set your peep height and everything the way you like it. Do you set your peep height for a specific distance? Cause I've heard Jesse Broadwater say he sets his for, I believe 70 or 80 yards, you know? Mm-hmm. And do you do this, you know, for the, uh, different disciplines in, in archery or for the different events? Yeah, so at, obviously for indoors and you know, any fixed distance, set it at that distance, right? Uh-huh. Um, but Reading, what I set it for was like 55 yards or 60 yards, uh-huh. uh, somewhere in there. Um, that's what I set it to. Obviously, shoot, you'll see your pin start to steady up, and there's definitely, um, with a proper P-type, comes a really good hold. Um, so if you feel things are loose, just kind of move that peep down just a little bit. Um, and that'll tighten up your groups pretty easy for indoors. What I do, and actually, um, I think Jesse, I think Jesse told me this years ago, um, is I will step into the range indoors with no peep in my bow and actually just shoot focusing on anchoring good shots, all that stuff. And all my eye will be on the right side of the string when I shoot uh-huh. with no peep. And I'll shoot and shoot and shoot and, you know, get sighted in and I'll shoot a whole round until things are really good. And then what I'll do is I'll put a peep in the bow and I won't move my sight or anything, but I will move my peep until my impact point was the same. Um, so that's the way for indoors that I set that because that's, Whoa. for me, it's like the best most way. natural point. Exactly. Like- Whoa, that's what I never thought about. That's fucking crazy. I've heard that Jesse does, you know, this thing with without the peep in the beginning, but I never heard it explained like that. That's bananas. That's freaking cool. Yeah, he's he's he he does turn out to have some pretty good knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's been around. He's won a thing or two. <laughs> um, you know, this thing about the peep had me um made me wonder, like, dude, your performance at uh, Field Nationals was incredible. I'm sure you've heard that from a million people. Um, out here, dude, like, amongst my, you know, couple friends that will actually talk to me, uh, we believe that... You, me too, bro, me too. <laughs> dude, we, we, might be- we believe that you might be, like, the best archer on the planet at this moment. And I know you're going to be a humble guy. You're like, no, 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 whatever. But 
You're shooting great in all forms of the sport. Um, yeah, I I appreciate that. And funny you say that because somebody, I'm not going to mention any names, but they actually screen recorded that podcast um, where you you guys mentioned that. And, uh, and my response back to that person was actually, I started naming names like, you know, Jesse's and Dave's and uh-huh. Terry Ragsdale's and, you know, the Terry Ragsdale was the first one to shoot the 900 and then the first one to shoot the 560 and all these other people. And it's like, I mean, it's, uh, it's cool to hear my name in that conversation, you know, but Without I got a lot of respect okay, for the old guys, and I can't hey, I can't take it away from them too soon. Without a doubt, <laughs> hey, I respect the old guys too. Like the old guys <laughs> paved the way, and they set the bar to a point where we could all look at it and say, "Okay, that's what we have to strive for." You know, exactly. But at this yep. moment, at this given point, we are going, "Holy shit, dude!" Like what you and Bodie did at Field Nationals was nothing short of insane. I mean, Perkins shot insane, like amazing, and. uh <laughs> Okay, I don't, I'm not just trying to jerk you off here. The question that I was going to get to was um, actually kind of lame now that I've t- talked about this, but like, what kind of lens were you running at Field Nationals? I was super curious because I've heard some people talk about, you know, in the pro class, it's a different game because you're not shooting spots anymore, you're shooting X's. Yeah, so what I run for a lens is actually the same thing that I run for Redding. Um, I run a, let me pull up my notes because I've said it wrong before <laughs> the dot size that is. So I actually run a feather vision DSA and the number that I mess up is the actual size of the dot. Uh-huh. I believe my dot is a 60,000 dot, might be a 40 or a 50, uh-huh. something in there, but I'll in inside that dot, I'll run a 19,000 fiber. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of, it's only like a centimeter long. It's, it's a very small, that way I can't break it or anything like that. Um, but I'll run a six power. Um, I choose the Verde plus, uh, and yeah, so six power 50, um, we'll call it a 50 thou dot with a 19 size fiber in the middle. Just the reason why I do that is because of one, I I can never lose my dot with a little fiber in the middle. And that's Mm -hmm. what I like about the DSA system. Um, and then the dot for, you know, aiming within the field target in the hunter dot, right. Um, kind of the perfect size because like anyone that shoots indoors at a Vegas target, they'll eventually find a dot size with the way their brain works in ratio to the gold of the nine ring or the 10 ring. Mm-hmm. For me, my dot indoors is just a little bit smaller than the 10 ring. And turns out that my dot on a field face at almost every distance is just smaller or about the uh, X ring. Oh. On a, That's interesting, um, dude. So that is a correlation that I realized uh, actually when I was shooting, getting ready for field nationals. I'm like, I'm pretty certain this looks about the same. Obviously, the dot size isn't the same in my indoor lens, but um, when I go outside, it's the, it's almost the same in ratio to what uh-huh. I'm what I'm shooting for. Are you also I, shooting the six power for indoor as well? I do shoot a six for indoor. Yep. Do you run a clarifier at all with the six power? Or you you pretty much got it. Yeah, at my youthful age of 22, my eyes started deteriorating about, uh, I don't know, a couple of years ago. Uh, so I have to use the clarifier. Um, I don't know what – I'm running a specialty peep outdoors. I run a 16th. I run a 16th size peep for everything, mm-hmm. but I do not recall the clarifier number. All right. Granted, that's well, pretty any of the specific to the eyeball. Any of the listeners that are going to try to, you know, just outright copy or set up, I think – They'll, they they should know that you got to play with the clear, the the aperture size. Yeah, and if anyone wants to copy my setup, they're more than willing to shoot me a message, and I will give you the full detailed list of measurements and all stuff like that. Because, like, there's one measurement that I think is kind of important, and that I found that I've shot way better is the axle to axle on my Supra. Uh-huh. Just a little bit out of spec long, I shoot the bow way better. Really, that might just be a me thing, but for what I found is I can't shoot that bow sucked down even a sixteenth of an inch. It just has to be a little bit longer. So there's just little things like that that what some you, people, a lot of people have found to be helpful. Guess what what do you attribute that to? Do you think that is a draw is that like a result of, you know, fine tuning your draw length or is that a fine tuning your the string angle for you or what do you think that I th- is? I think that's the the orientation of the cams. Oh. Um, so something is longer than the other thing. Mm-hmm. Um so something I think that's just how it pans out on the orientation of the cam. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that might be true that might not it's just something that i test and tinker like i do with everything and try to find the best result and that's what i found so um that's dude badass dude (laughs) um let's see uh i've heard you say in uh other podcasts and i i hope when i say i've heard you say i hope it doesn't give you anxiety no i I think I think repeating information is good because not everyone listens to all the podcasts. So I think it's good to spread the good information around. Well, and you, know. you you would not believe how many times I've I've like answered questions on this show, and then people have asked me the same question like a few months later, and I've been like, "Ah, oh, do you just go back and listen?" And they're like, "No, <laughs> just repeat it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're supposed to remember everything, man. Come on. <laughs> um, I've heard you say. Oh, from what I what I gathered from from hearing your past episodes is that, um executing good and scoring good are two separate things for you and you can tell me i'm you know right or wrong i i might be um extrapolating that but it's what it sounds like is even if you score good there are times where you're like "Mm, something's not right or i could have done better or something along those lines is that a a true thing or do you compartmentalize those two things like uh, and if you do what is your the the how do you judge the uh, whether or not you're executing the way you want to be executing? Yeah, I so one of the little key phrases that I've kind of coined, um, one for my mental game and two, it kind of helps some people and the kind of their attitude towards things is execute with intent. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can execute um, and, and normally it's it, it depends because some days I can shoot like junk and hit great. Uh, I don't know how it happens, but it does. Um, but so executing well is more of a feel and a judgment and a personal score. I give myself kind of like I do in practice, mm-hmm. um, where I can shoot great, whether it's wind or other elements within the game, um, where I just miss like indoor nationals. I shot great and I shot 119 X's and missed one, mm-hmm. which put me in like 20th. <laughs> right. Um, right. so that was one for me this year where it's like, I, I shot phenomenal at that. A lot of inside outs. I mean, it was a really good round. Just happened to miss one. And that would be scoring bad, but I executed well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Redding, that I, per- personally, I executed Redding flawlessly, but um, yeah. I, missed the, yeah, I missed the elk and the buffalo mm-hmm. both out about a, probably, let's say at most a quarter inch out at nine o'clock. Both of them, damn near identical. And uh, it, yeah, that, that stung a little bit, and they were great shots. Like, uh-huh. there was no quite Like, I didn't even anyone to call it. I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's good, just like the other one, right? Uh-huh. No, and this just wasn't – that wasn't the luck in my hand. So, um, but, yeah, it's – you can shoot good shots and still miss because that's archery and that's the world we live in. Uh-huh. So that's yeah, kind of how it is. Because that it just you know, pans out that way. Yeah, some people can score terribly, right? And that, one, that might be the scores that they're used to shooting – or two, that just didn't how end up how they wanted to be. Because I think if you judge um, the level at what you execute, you can come out from a tournament not being negative. You can find things that you did well uh-huh. and things that you'll work on. So that's, I right. always try to give, I don't like keep a, a number in mind of my executing score internally. It's just a, oh, that target, this target, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so. The executing with intent. Is that a mantra that you say to yourself, or do you have a mantra? Is that I don't know. I've I, I've got way onto the whole mantra thing after listening to Joel Turner, and then you know some people have told me like it's just ridiculous. But I'm curious as to how many people have a mantra or, or something they say to themselves as they're shooting. Yeah, I don't have. I don't say that to myself. Um, Really, I don't say that at the beginning of a shot. And honestly, I don't really think a whole lot when it's time, uh-huh. you know, draw back and shoot. It's more of focusing on what I'm, you know, executing with intent, trying to hit right. what I'm focusing on. Execute intent for me. And I actually had to bring it up several times in Reading, Field Nationals, kind of mid round or whenever. Actually, when I draw back in field nationals and I start thinking about food, um, <laughs> I got to let down and kind of ground myself on. All right, you're not you're not here for autopilot, right? You right. Need to be attentive because when you go to autopilot, that's when you start to miss. Um, so that's kind of like a my try to reground myself to go back to to what I should be doing. And I think a lot of people probably can 
a lot of people probably have their own thing. Mm -hmm. Do I think a mantra is good to say before you shoot? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't for some people. But definitely you want to have a phrase. Maybe that is the mantra of when you realize when you get to full draw that you're thinking about something else or, you know, let's say there was a conversation that kind of threw you off or kind of frustrated you a little bit or something, some sort of bad scoring went, went on Uh kind of of reground yourself because, you know, at the end of the day that what, what happened just then isn't going to be written on the scorecard. Right. So you can't justify that. And it's not really a good excuse. Uh, No, I, I like that. It's, it's the executing with intent is like, um, it's like a mindset to focus you, to get you ready to, to get to work. Exactly. And I think I should make a t-shirt. <laughs> no, hey, it's pretty legit, dude. I think a lot of people are going to equate that with you. <laughs> I, I think it'd be good. I think it'd be great for, for the brand, but I don't know. It's just something that I, I kind of coined to, to help me, and it's it seemed to work. So, <laughs> um, Let's see. Okay, last question I have that is going to be super I, – I, all the gear questions I always figure are lame. Like the the big thing I, at this point, gear stuff has always been covered, right? The big stuff's like the mental game and how you practice and how you get prepared for this stuff. But yeah, yeah. I I had heard you say that you ran like uh two thirds of an ounce. I think it was like fourteen and two thirds or something on your front on your front stabilizer. Mm-hmm. So you um find that the one third ounce weights like are beneficial. That is something because I have a friend that runs. I think they're quarter ounce weights or one third ounce weights, and I've never messed with them, but he's sworn by them. And now I hear that you know you use them. Is that true? Isn't it? And how serious are you about that? Yeah, it's that. That's that's not a joke because any any weight that you put on the end of a, a thirty three inch bar is gonna it's gonna it's gonna show what <laughs> how much it really weighs. That's um, true. That's true. It, on a thirty three inch uh, inch bar, especially. Yeah, I mean even twenty sevens, you know, but it's. It's something where you don't need a full ounce and, you know, whether it's personally, I think it does help quite a bit because sometimes you're a little buzzy or whatever, and you don't feel that you need to add a substantial amount of weight. You don't feel it's a mass weight issue. And you just think that it's something you might have. It's not even little dips or anything macro, right? It's more of, uh, you have kind of a slow oscillation indoors. Maybe you, um, you kind of lengthen your draw length indoors and uh, it's kind of swaying just a little bit too much. What I'll do is I'll kind of just put a, a third ounce on there and see what happens, mm-hmm. you know, with, with archery and no matter what, whether, whether you're a beginner or you know, an expert at it, archery boils down to tinkering with things and trying to see what works for you going through what people say for this, try that, find something else, you know, trying everything. So I'm totally down to try a third ounce, no matter what it is. Do I say, do I try a third ounce on my back bar? No, that, that is not going to show you anything. Mm -hmm. In my experience, um, I kind of stick to the, the one ounce, um, weights back there, but yeah, I mean, pick up a pack of third ounces and try them. If a third ounce doesn't make a change, I would venture to say that you still have some work to do on your stabilization rig. Hell yeah, Um, right. I agree. I think a third is kind of towards of kind of sharpening that edge just a little bit. Mm Mm-hmm. A truly fine adjustment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree. I I mean, I in, on this show, I preach, like, playing with your stabilizer weights the most because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a, a hard believer in the grip pressure and how grip pressure affects y- your hold and your execution. So, you know. Yeah, and I think you have a lot of weight on your back bar. That might not necessarily be because of the stabilizer rig. That might be because you have your D-loop in the wrong spot. Um, but yeah, so stabilizers in that D loop position plays a huge role in your aiming huge role. And I would almost venture to say that the, the D loop location is almost more important, um, than, uh, I would say micro adjusting your stabilizers, um, with those kinds of things. So, right. Hell yeah, dude. Um, okay. Final question and I'll let you go get some food. (laughs) I really appreciate you doing this podcast man like i know no, man, i appreciate it i i thought it was super cool to get that message from elliot you know hey wendell's gonna reach out to you and i was like sweet where's he at so i went <laughs> digging through it i'm like i ah, found him <laughs> <laughs> well, i'm excited to be here and i think that you know 
I'm happy to lend all of my information to those that are listening that, you know, have a question, whether it's with a PSC bow or somebody else's bow. Well, um, we I'm happy to help. We're all big fans out here. Um, but my last question comes down to you, like your, your mental game and your mental style. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, there are some shooters like my buddy, Blake, for example, he's like well known for saying that he hates losing, uh, almost more than he loves winning. Right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, different styles for different people. Of course, Blake's one of the best shooters that we have on the West coast. So I can't, you know, I can't disagree yeah. with him, you know? No, he's good. He's he's really good. Oh, he's damn good. He's a, he's a machine. But yeah. from what it seems like, your your mental attitude or your, your attitude just seems different than that. Is that true or am I, are we just extrapolating over here? Are we just guessing? No, I, I – yeah, it, absolutely it is. It, it's, yeah. It seems like – like when you were talking on the, your, the Bow Junkie interview with Greg about how you were going to go out and like, you know – how you did good in Reading, and afterwards he's like, "Dude, do you have any idea what you did?" And you're like, "Nah, dude, I've done this before." It's kind of like this is laid back, like I'm gonna do the best I can possibly do. Attitude is what it seems like to yeah. the listener, you know? Yep, I uh, a lot of my practice is, you know, I not to sound arrogant, but when it comes to practice um, in tournaments, I don't. It's one of the main reasons I don't keep score is because of. I, I'm chasing perfection, right? Mm-hmm. And for for it to show that it's not perfection anymore, I can miss. I miss all the time. Like I am a terrible person shooting in practice. Like if you shout with me in practice, you're like, "This guy shot how how many X's in field nationals? He did what in Reading?" <laughs> I'm just not great practicing, right? Uh-huh. Um, that's also because I don't have an emotional connection to missing in practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so that little tool I have internally, I don't utilize very often. So when it comes to tournaments, I have a mindset of this is what I'm going to go out to do. All right. Perfect score is this. What's it take? Right. So I break everything down to what does it take? What's the possible score? Like next for, let's talk about Dakota classic. A 600 is a perfect score. Mm-hmm. What does it take to shoot a 600? Well, it takes 60 arrows executed in the middle and you'll get what you get right so my mindset is if i if if i'm gonna do what i'm supposed to which is control the things that i can control which is between my two hands which is what i focus on in practice um i'm able to go out and execute at a level that i know i am because i train at that level um and that might not make sense to some (laughs) uh but I, i I don't expect a whole lot, you know, right. um, especially in practice. Cause it's, you're there. It's, you, you're allowed to miss. It's, it's okay. You can't get mad at missing in practice. So I think that that correlation and how you talk to yourself and how you shoot and how, you know, you and your bow are a team and how you go about doing your things in practice reflect a lot, um, in tournaments. Like obviously if I, if, when it's a bad weekend or I don't do this, obviously I'm frustrated, but I can't be that mad. Right. You know, it just is. Um, and another thing that I like to focus on is I constantly stop to make sure I'm happy with the process of reaching the goal versus the happiness that I think I'll feel. Um, kind of like um, Reading, right? It's that feat is something that I probably will never understand because I was so focused on shooting the middle of that dot right so mm-hmm. next year i could go out there and not miss and shoot you know clean beat jesse's record this that and the other but that doesn't mean that much to me because obviously it does mean but when you are training and so hyper focused at the level that you're just merely all you're trying to do is shoot your bow in the middle which if you can do it once you can do it a bunch of times right right uh, it's just something you'll kind of get lost in the sauce per se. Right. I've heard it so. said before, like, um, like those huge achievements that it's almost like you don't exist. Everyone else notices these things because they're not you. It's like, exactly. Like, and you, that's you witness, exactly how I feel. Yeah. You witness Reading like without you to, to uh, like, ooh and all over. Cause you were too busy making that happen. Yeah. Uh, it's a crazy. I don't know. I I smoke way too much weed, and I get lost in like describing this stuff. But, uh, um, dude, the other thing I thought was really freaking cool was how was it Louis Price that you was in your group, and how you guys were like neck and neck, and you were 
just super supportive of each other on the last day and not trying to like slash each other's tires. Yeah, right. <laughs> I thought it yeah. was fucking cool, dude. <laughs> Louis Price is a cool dude. Um, and our group uh, for Reading there was pretty awesome. You know, we had Darren Collins. We had Cousins. We had Louis, his dad, John Scott. We had a bunch of super cool people. Um, and, you know, when the first day um, I dropped one, Louis cleaned it. Day two, Louis cleaned it. I dropped one, both elk herd and the buffalo. And, you know, so we both had a mutual understanding that, you know, I was calling arrows in for him. You know, we were, he's like, for, I could be shooting all the way on the right side of the, the target. And he'd be on the left and be like, yep, Gaius, you're good. And, and that's just how it was. And I think that was super cool. And that's kind of an experience I hope a lot of people get to experience because yes. it's, that's something at that high of a level of shooting, it's it's such a mutual respect um, yes. that it, it's hard to describe. You know, like right. very few sports that you'll find where the, the two best at their craft in a moment on a weekend, in a race, whatever it is, that they're, you know, supportive. Because yeah. at the end of the day, the only reason you missed was because of you, right? It's right. That's just the game and it's not the competitor's fault it's not the person standing behind you it's not a parent it's not a photo it's not a cameraman it's none of that it's you right, right? so and it was super cool and i enjoyed it i think when those things happen it's like it's super awesome it, it just shows how awesome the sport is it shows how awesome archery is when those things happen when you know like you said two guys that are at the very top are like giving each other mutual respect and actually like trying to you know, kind of pump each other up to keep going and do good. I, I think it's super yeah. rare, especially when the guys are competitors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's kind of like that photo there, Bodie and I kind of, me just giving Bodie the fist pump because <laughs> that's when I missed and I got out. So it's like, well, Bodie's, you know, one of the shooters for AE. That's, he's a good dude. I'm like, dude, I want you to kill it. I want you to win, right? That's yeah. one, you know, as a, as a pro staff coordinator, that's, that's what I want the shooters to win, but I'm also a competitor, which is rare to see. So, right. you know, it's, it's a, I enjoy wanting other people to be successful like Bodie and I in field nationals. You know, mm-hmm. it's, that's, it's, I want people to be successful because bottom at the end of the day, it's way easier to wish success for others than to not. Right. Right. I, but dude, even so it's super rare. Like it, I don't know if it's yeah. just, the monkey brain or human nature or whatever, but I mean, especially on the West coast, I don't know if West coast is pettier than others. I mean, I live here, but, uh, (laughs) you know, like, especially the outlaws, you, people will ask, you know, how did you do when you come off the field? What they're hoping for is that they got a couple points on you, you know? So it's just, it's just cool, especially at your level shooting as clean as you did. And then even at like, I can only imagine, I mean, at the very end of, like the third day when you guys are shooting, like before the shoot off, you, you guys didn't devolve into like, <laughs> fuck you, that's out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or like anything like that. Uh, yeah. you, you guys were able to hold it together. I thought that was, that's pretty, pretty damn awesome, dude. <laughs> yeah. The last target there in Reading, um, I shot, it was like a, up by the snack shack there. It's like a 25 yarder or something. And, you know, I shot my two arrows and the person right behind me for a fist bump was Louie, you know, because uh-huh. that's kind of how it is. You know, like last day in the uh, field nationals this year, Bodie, uh, I was the last one to shoot. Bodie got up there and piped one. Uh-huh. I got up there and had one just miss out on the right of the dot. And, you know, it's Bodie, dude, come here. Good shoot. And <laughs> you beat me right up. <laughs> I had the arrow to tie it and I just, just missed a little right. I probably should aim a little left, but, um, yeah, it's that's the cool thing with archery, especially uh, competitive is the, the camaraderie, camaraderie. So yeah, I think so. And dude, the post you did on uh, social media about like, hey, I didn't get, you know, I don't see, I didn't lose. All right, like what happened was I went out there and did the damn thing. All right, I, you know, I went out to do something. Yeah, incredible. I got beat. I didn't lose. I got beat. Exactly. You went out to do something incredible, and you did. You know, I thought yeah. that was. A lot of people sent me that post, and they were like, dude, look how fucking cool this is. And it's just true. I, I think you earned a lot of fans just off of that showing your mindset right there, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, I mean, you can't even get mad at yourself. I, <laughs> I mean, obviously, <laughs> you did great bum, I wanted to go Reading champion to field nationals champion back to back. And, you know, that would be 
that'd be something and shoot the double five sixties, which was also groundbreaking. Yes. But Hey, I'll take a second any day of the week. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did great, dude. Uh, you know, like I said before, you got a lot of fans over here. and I think a lot of us are rooting for you, uh, for shooter of the year. And I, I think everyone's just excited to see how you do. If not, you know, the next event, the event after, you know what I mean? It's just, it's just Absolutely. cool to see. Yeah, I appreciate it, and I, I appreciate all the support. And like I said before, anyone that ever, you know, needs anything or any anything like that, I'm, I'm always happy to help because that's, that's kind of what I do. So, Well, hell yeah. Uh, Thank you, guys, for coming on the show, dude. I, I really appreciate it. Like I said, thank you, you. you're the highest-tiered dude that I've ever had on here. It's a lot of local guys, a couple of national champs, you know, uh, but, you know, you're definitely the top guy right now. I think a lot of people are going to flip when they see when they hear this. Perfect. Well, we'll have to, I'll see what I can do to see if we can get some more on there. That way I'm not the coolest cat. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks, man. Uh, I really appreciate it, guys. Yeah, man. Thank you. Well, cool, dude. Go get some food. All right. All right. We'll do. I'll go practice, actually. All right. Later, brother. (laughs) All right, man. Later.